Hey, what's going on there, podcast community? Matthew Johnson back at it again with another episode of Dementia in Black and White. And in this week's episode, we are going to interview someone. It's been a while since we had a guest on the podcast, and I'm excited to talk to this week's guest, Petra Niles. You'll hear more about her in just a moment in this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. All right. All right. So let me introduce the special guest that we have with us today. This is a podcast and it's called Dementia in Black and White. And some of you have probably been wondering, well, Matthew, if you're talking about aging so much on your podcast, why don't you ever talk to a gerontologist? Well, that's going to happen today. So calm down and sit back and listen to this conversation. Let me give you a little bit of background about our guest today, Petra Niles. MSG, Master's of Science in Gerontology. She has an extensive background in aging issues such as care management, elder abuse, program development, and curriculum development. Petra currently provides ongoing education and outreach in the Los Angeles area, as well as implementing culturally specific workshops to the African-American community in collaboration with faith-based institutions. Petra also believes strongly in the importance of motivating young people to better understand and become active in the fight against Alzheimer's, but also about aging in general, getting young people involved at an early age to help them understand the aging process. And that's something we are going to talk about, as well as other things related to the topic of aging and gerontology in general. So I want to take this time and welcome to the podcast for the first time, but hopefully not the last, Miss Petra Niles. Good afternoon, Petra. How are you? Well, Matthew, how are you? I am well, too. And thank you for agreeing to sit and talk with me and talk with our audience and just continue to discuss this. Of course, my audience knows that I'm just documenting my journey uh, through taking care of my mother with dementia. But as I come across information and as I come across people who are doing things in the community, I think it's so important to just amplify them in any way that we can. And your name had popped across my email stream on a number of occasions. Petra Niles doing this. Petra Niles is doing that. So I'm like, who is this Petra Niles? I got a chance to talk to you. And uh, now I want the podcast community to get to know you as well. So if you don't mind, just I did give a kind of professional bio about you. But first, before we start, tell us uh, what else you would want us to know about you and then specifically how you decided on the field of gerontology and how long you've been doing it. I am a lifelong learner. I learn, I love to learn every day. There are so many things in life that are really sometimes missed. Um, it may be a simple, uh, this is springtime. And so the new life is forming in the flowers and the plants. And that is also representative of our lives in general. 
Um, and one of the things that when I considered aging mostly because I grew up having um, connections, really strong connections to grandparents and great grandparents and to be able to have that opportunity, I believe that many have not and to be able to listen to them and hear stories and have them speak into my life in ways that I now appreciate more as they're all gone. And I definitely uh, love the times when they would say things that I thought, oh, is this what you get to do when you're older? And, and you are somehow allowed to say them. So it was really a really great experience and their um, love for life and love for family was really important for me. Fantastic. And how long have you been a uh, gerontologist? Yeah, I've been a gerontologist for over 23 years. I wanted to go to the end of your bio where you talked about a strong belief in help, helping young people have an understanding of aging. So tell me why an interest in that? What is it that would be beneficial for young people to understand the process of aging a little more? There are so many benefits from being connected to our elders, to be able to hear their wisdom, the ability to have applied um perseverance in very challenging times when they grew up and were young adults and adults and still survived um, to um, later ages. That's so very uh, beneficial for us to hear. And also um, there are, you know, I've lived the dichotomy of working with young people, teaching third graders while I was going to school and sometimes in my gerontology classes. So I had both perspectives understanding that um, also young people, teenagers, had there were some similarities that were quite interesting, the ability for um, young people to fight for independence, uh, young adults. So were the seniors fighting for their independence to maintain their independence and to live their lives based on they were not children, they were adults and could make decisions even if they were bad. Mm. Um, there is also the issue of in independence transportation, younger people wanting to drive, older people still wanting to drive and, and having those uh, struggles back and forth. It's not safe and your responses are slowing up and it's it may just be a challenge for you. So looking at that perspective, the cycle of life, just by observation, it was just amazing. Very so, interesting. Yeah. And it. as you're talking, I can certainly see all of those similarities in terms of agency for a young person as well as an older person. So that's a very interesting connection that I would not have made. So thank you for shining some light on that today. All right. Let me ask you this in terms of barriers or challenges. What are some of those in terms of uh, you and the work that you're doing in the community, being able to get your message out and getting your message to the right people? What are some of the challenges you face in doing that? Sometimes the barriers or challenges are family prioritizing the number of concerns that occur in the community on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly uh, basis. And, and so where does 
our education and opportunities to learn more about aging, to learn more about caregiving? Where does that lie as it relates to family priorities? Not that the information to be received is not important. I believe everyone understands that. But again, where does this lie in our individual list of priorities? Some of the barriers could also be, um, you know, just recognizing that, okay, we'll just deal with this later. Again, priority, but also even when things are occurring that there is a need for education and assistance, it's still a matter of accepting help. Mm -hmm. Some people are challenged by simply accepting help. And what that looks like for everyone may be different, but um, that's one of the barriers. Or a simple barrier could be, okay, I'll take the information, a brochure, a, a pamphlet, uh, a video, uh, anything, but um, the, after looking at it, after reading it, there are questions and, and the lack of understanding, but there isn't a follow-up. Taking the initiative to um, follow up and ask questions until you understand. Mm -hmm. So that could be a barrier, just not simply reaching out for help, but also asking questions until you understand what um, what the, the, the programs are, what the uh, diagnosis or information about the diagnosis is, and that goes across um, healthcare um, systems. Yeah, yeah, very good. And, and it definitely uh, those challenges you mentioned are certainly real and true in the African-American community. And it's it's sad in the sense because there is a lot of information that's out there. And there are oftentimes programs that go unused or underused because people don't know about them or they don't have the information. So that's good. I'm glad we're talking about things like that here today. So hopefully it encourages people to seek the information. And if you get the pamphlets, if you have access, go ahead and make the call. Go ahead and check the website. So let's talk about some of the successes that you've had. What type of successes have you had along your professional journey as it relates to gerontology and aging? Thank you for that question, because as you mentioned, that having been a care manager to be able to assist our elders in remaining at home for as long as possible, um, connecting them and their families with services within their own community that would support their stay in their home, whether it's um, a meal program that home delivered meals, whether it was uh, identifying um, a program that would make repairs to the homes. There's just so many things that were that were already existing. But as you mentioned, family were unaware of it. And just connecting and linking families to those resources has been very helpful. Another opportunity is to be able to work with various ethnic groups, to be able to uh, see how their aging process goes and also serve the larger community to be able to work in the area of hearing stories of survival. That's not just among the African-American community, but survival for those who were, uh, who experienced the Holocaust and those who were uh, experienced various uh, life's 
uh, events that really uh, impacted their living, their lives, their perceptions about, um, you know, becoming older and who they are. And also working with a multidisciplinary team is the one that I love so much uh, in the area of elder abuse to be able to come together with so many people from law enforcement to psychiatry and geriatric medicine and psychology and elder law attorneys and the fire department social workers adult protective services coming together to work on behalf of a senior who was abused and coming together to discuss the case and potentially bring charges against the perpetrator because elder abuse is a crime. And so all of these areas have been really, really amazing. The opportunities to be able to meet and collaborate with such wonderful people in the area, in the field of gerontology and to continue to stay connected to them because uh, this field is somewhat small. Yeah, and, and I certainly, just in my limited dealings with some other disciplines in terms of the healthcare field, can certainly appreciate the import of someone with your background, because I can see, as you mentioned, all of those different disciplines. If you're at the table providing the perspective from a gerontologist, I believe that certainly enhances the ability of those people who are you know, in the service industry to be able to provide that service in a way that's a fit. So it's not, you know, certainly not doing any harm. And I believe that's what the doctors take that oath to say first do no harm. But if you don't know, you know, how to deal with someone with Alzheimer's, how to, you know, if there's something culturally sensitive that you don't have awareness about, unfortunately you can end up doing harm as you're there to protect and or to serve. So wonderful. Wonderful. All right. Let me ask you this, a a kind of a broad question. But when we talk about these different disciplines coming together and uh, just being there to serve all of the different communities, larger communities and the micro communities, is there anything that the government could be doing better in that regard, whether we're talking about federal, state or local governments? There are already existing programs that I believe should always be revisited as it relates to funding. So um, there are area agencies on aging where a family who's concerned about an aging parent can certainly start there to be able to be connected with resources within their community. So already um, additional funding for already existing programs and to be able to expand healthcare access, there's still uh, issues in very particular um, communities and advocating for policies to improve the options for elders to remain independent in their homes for as long as possible. And um, we know aging is something that we all experience. And there's a quote that I would love to read. Um, All right. It is, do not regret growing older. It's a privilege denied to many. Mm. Yes. That is an excellent quote. That's right, because the alternative is not that great. So certainly it is something we might complain about, but it is a privilege to be able to do that, to just grow older. 
All right. So one of the things I wanted to do, especially having a gerontologist at the table, is to have you talk about the differences. I'm you know, doing a podcast about dementia, and it is oftentimes confusing to understand normal aging versus early onset of some type of dementia. So can we just talk briefly about that? What's the difference between the two and or you know, what are some of the key signs that we're supposed to look out for if we're novices in this field? Thank you for that question. Um, there are so many people who sometimes become very overwhelmed with aging and what to expect and what not to expect. The idea of I can't find my keys and what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had them earlier and um, there are some things, some changes that occur with uh, aging and so slower thinking, um, difficulty sometimes paying attention, and uh, you do forget things, but you're able to retrace your tracks and then find them. So you 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 misplace your keys, but you retrace your tracks and know that okay, where was I last? And then you go there and you find them. Mm-hmm. However, and the more serious memory problems would be challenges or trouble paying your bills, not paying them at all, and they're just piling up or paying them over and over, Mm. repeating questions, repeating stories because you've forgotten that you have uh, asked a question or shared that story. And then there's also getting lost in familiar places and definitely um, forgetting names and not being able to remember the person's name. Mm. So those are some of the more um, serious issues to be concerned with and to speak to a physician about if anyone is experiencing anything like that. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And certainly earlier, the better in terms of if you do see those signs, getting to that physician. And so let's say that we're uh, past that now. We've gotten somebody who uh, saw the signs, got their loved one to a physician and had them properly diagnosed. And now they have switched from becoming a spouse or a child of the person, a daughter or son, to becoming a caregiver. What type of advice would you give to a person who's new to caregiving? Caregiving. First, I want to say um, that a caregiver is someone who provides care. Um, to a family member, to a neighbor, to a friend. And so acceptance of that term is really important as it relates to healthcare, because it can come with some benefits that if you didn't, uh, being a caregiver, you won't be considered for specific benefits. So just accepting the term of a caregiver is very important um, to be able to first become educated about the diagnosis of your loved one, understand what the diagnosis means and the progression of it so that you can anticipate decision making, start uh, meetings with the family. And, you know, sometimes we do understand that family dynamics may be challenging for some. And however, the use of a care manager, including a care manager or a third party person to be able to engage the family in discussion may be very helpful here. 
so that it allows um, the the professional get to bring up some very important points that the family member may be shy about bringing it up so that there are issues in the family or um, you know, if there were problems before that they're very cautious about saying certain things. So coming together as a family and then to be able to identify resources within the community and building a support system to be able to accept help, as I mentioned before, and to recognize that you are not alone and that you can't do it by yourself. These journeys require assistance and support and definitely being connected to a support group so that you're sharing um, and feeling supported with others who are on the same journey. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and earlier in the bio, I mentioned you were doing some work with faith-based initiatives, and I think that could be a place to find support. Can you just talk a little bit about that in terms of working with the faith-based community and the impact that they can have on helping a caregiver. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, this is a really important uh, work. The churches have had uh, access to families for so many years, and many of the elders within the church are um, sometimes unable to attend church because they've gotten sick and um, and have been the supporters of the church since sometimes the foundation, the founding of the church. And so their families are um, in need of support. And so churches providing a space where the family members or the caregivers can come together and share and bring in outside resources to support them uh, in, in the area of education, um, and other areas to be able to still provide the spiritual support to the person with whatever diagnosis they have, as well as for the caregivers. So that is something that's really, really uh, important to consider and the various ministries throughout the uh, churches to be able to support that, whether it's a men's ministry or a women's ministry or the health ministry at the church, it all um, works together. Yeah, yeah. And earlier you mentioned elder abuse, and that certainly can be one of the organizations or, you know, kind of social groups that can be the eyes and ears for such a thing, especially people, you know, that have, like you said, been the bedrock of their faith communities. Those folks will notice changes going on with an individual that can highlight some of that. All right. Can so, I say, because yeah, also there are many seniors who have not, who have never married and they do not have children. And so the church definitely and pastoral care is really critical in this area. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So I um, wanted to ask in, in terms of, so you got somebody who has, has now accepted that role as a caregiver and they're out there and seeking the support and all of that. But what about self-care for the individual? Because oftentimes I believe that can be overlooked as a person is, you know, taking on this role and the responsibilities that come with it. Can you talk about the importance of that self-care? Self-care is very important and self-care actually should be considered uh, a must. It should be intentional. It should be incorporated on a daily basis, even if it's just 10 to 15 minutes. It's that important for the person who is a caregiver. 
and we we want to make sure that caregivers do not wait until they become overwhelmed to seek some sort of help and uh, to learn that it's important for them to maintain the energy to continue the journey. So self-care means that they eat uh, a healthy diet, uh, one that certainly gives them energy for the work that's ahead and to be able to incorporate exercise and all of this may be challenging, but you have to be creative to incorporate that. If you're not able to get out, then, you know, it may mean typing in walk at home for a YouTube video and you're actually walking in your home if you're not able to get out and to be able to also incorporate sleep, which is so critical so that your body is replenished and and you can um, wake up the next day and be able to carry on a little bit further to be able also self-care to ask for help mm. and to say yes to when somebody says i can help you and would you accept the help it's also important to um get some time away from the physical home where you're caregiving again if it's just 10 minutes, 15 minutes or 30 minutes or so on to just remove yourself from the caregiving situation and then be able to come back and start again. So it really means that you have to build your support system. What that looks like for each person will be different and it may start with one or two people, but that builds over time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And let's hope people heed that advice because the journey of the caregiver doesn't get easier with time. It likely becomes more challenging because the person might um, start to degrade over time in terms of whatever condition it is that's ailing them. And then your own health might come into question. And the last yes. thing you want to do is to not be there and provide that care that you're doing such a wonderful job of providing. All right. So we are coming to the end here. Is there anything else that you'd like to add just in general that we didn't talk about that you think is important for us to talk about? Or if you want to share with us what you have going on, any projects you have going on that people should know about. I want to share some things about aging that are really um, interesting, uh, exciting. I don't know uh, that everyone actually looks forward to aging. <laughs> some people do, some do not. Some uh, people really have a fear of aging and what that will look like and even the physiological changes that may occur. And so, but there's value in aging as we shared about the quote earlier, but there is a time for still new experiences to be able to downsize and uh, think about what do I want my final years to look like and how do I still give to our community and to my family? Because you still do have value and uh, in sharing wisdom and your experiences to be able to still mentor younger people and um, and life is not over. There are still accomplishments that maybe you have always had throughout your lifetime and never got an opportunity. It's never too late to do that, to go back to school, to learn a new language, to uh, learn to play an instrument, to do uh, so many things. And so that's the exciting thing about aging. And, and you would be retired. And so there's no work schedule that you have to abide by to be able to do that. 
And um, not that you're perfect, but there's just so many things to life that we would not have seen them all, accomplished them all in our lifetime. But just do as much as you can and consider what will people say about you when you're gone? Mm. Yes, yes. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And it's definitely important to keep those activities going as we talk about some of these dimensions. Part of it is exercising the brain, keeping the brain active. And as you say, learning a new language, for example, and anything, learning the instruments, certainly all of that. Is something that gets those brain waves kicking. And so, as you said earlier, you're a lifelong learner, and that's a good goal to have, regardless of what age you are, to think of it as all the things you don't know and the things that would be interesting to learn. And yeah, retirement is not just to go sit on a rock or somewhere and wait to die, but that's your chance. Do the things that you haven't done yet and learn new things. All right. All right. So I want to thank you very much, Petra Niles, gerontologist, for stopping by the podcast and spending some time with us. I certainly appreciate it. And I also want to invite you back. I don't want this to be the last time that we talk. So let me get you to give me a verbal yes. I'll come back. Yes, I'll come back. All right, there we go. Because I want that on the record so that if there's something that pops up in the news I'm reading and I want to talk to a professional about it, I'm going to call you and have you back on and we'll just chop it up about some current event or whatever it is that's going on. So, folks, thank you for tuning in this week. You have a lot of options out there in podcast. I certainly appreciate you selecting this one and until next time always that's wonderful what you're doing taking care of your loved one but please also as petra niles just said take care of yourself until next week i'm out <laughs>